You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am so excited for so many things. <laughs> I know. I say, I am so excited. So seriously, I'm super excited about so many things. I'm not going to edit that out. We're going to leave that in. I have already tried to start this show three times, so I am not going back now. It is great to have you here as always. I am honored and just super privileged to be in your ears right now while you're exercising or while you're cooking or while you're driving your car, uh, sitting there ready to take notes, whatever it might be. I get so many messages. I have tried to reach it back out to everyone who has hit me up. If I have missed you, I assure you, I will seek you out. If you have tried to find me on Facebook, Please uh, hit me up on Instagram if that hasn't worked and you really want to get a hold of me. Obviously, the Facebook group um, is get, is going. You know, it's uh, there's uh, some questions that I ask everybody to answer in order to make sure that you're not a bot, including accepting the standards of the community, which is pretty uh, the, the same. They're the things that Facebook just asks everybody to say yes. You know, no bullying, no being mean, things of that nature. Um, if you're not answering those questions and you're not saying yes to the community standards, you're getting declined. So if you have noticed that you have not gotten accepted and you have been trying to, answer the questions. <laughs> it's, it is the very minimal thing that I've asked you to do. So uh, some of you have continuously tried to get in and maybe you're a bot. And so if, then you're not listening to this show and you're not even hearing what I'm saying right now. Um, so the Facebook group is rocking. We're uh, slowly but surely uh, getting more and more conversation over there. Not so much so far, but uh, it has been a lot of fun building the weekly coaching sessions, which is one of the reasons why I launched the Facebook group. And so if you are interested in being in, in the sober sessions, again, there is a link on the Facebook page. There's a link in my Instagram and there's a link on the Facebook group. All uh, you got to answer some more questions. Again, this is all making sure that you're not a bot. Uh, you're not a spammer. Uh, we definitely do not want somebody getting into our Zoom room and uh, doing anything nefarious. Uh, I've had some people who have had their Zoom meetings hacked, and so we've even set ours up um, specifically to have lots of security restrictions on it. So just uh, you know, be diligent and, and, and follow the protocol we put in place, and we would love to have you there. It is certainly an opportunity for us to dive deeper into the podcast and what we've talked about, and for you to actually have questions answered. And so... As it grows down the line, we would like to start offering it at different times because I get that Thursday at 6 Pacific and 9 Eastern doesn't work for everybody. But right now, uh, we just only have the threshold to do it the one time. So uh, for those of you who have asked that question or are thinking of asking that question, there is the answer. So I know I've gotten a lot of people asking if I could do them during the afternoon or on the weekend mornings. And uh, that's things that we have in the pipeline down the line. So after all of that, let's discuss today's topic, which is going to be 
emotional intelligence because we are going to be discussing emotional intelligence tomorrow night. So if you're caught up and you're listening to this live, then it's literally, uh, we'll post Thursday morning and then it's tonight. Or if you're listening to this in the archives, by all means, we're still doing the sober sessions. Go check this stuff out. And one of the reasons I like tying the podcast into the coaching sessions is because this gives you an opportunity to get your mind going around this topic. And I have discussed emotions so much. In fact, I went back through all of my show notes and I keep very detailed notes on every one of the episodes that I've done. And starting at episode five, I, where I talked about emotional maturity, episode 10, emotional maturity, part two, we did emotional and just your self-regulation, episode 15, covered shame and anxiety back in 31. Uh, we have uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs, which is a lot of emotional stuff, 37, self and emotional in 38, uh, 51, 54, 56, 57, 63, and 69 all have a very strong Um, influence because of emotions. And when we start to discuss our emotions within sobriety, which is what's going on tomorrow and what we're doing now is, you know, understanding your emotions and sobriety and recovery can be a lot. It it can be a challenge. You know, Uh, I don't know if I necessarily like using a word like challenge because it it almost says that it's a hurdle. It it says that there's like a, a block you have to get over. And you know how I am about using positive languages and how I think the language that we use matters. It's extremely, it's, it's delicate, right? Because there's a life coach in me that wants to be like, no, we can overcome all. And then there's also that normal everyday version where I'm like, we're humans and man, we go through some shit and it's just not always easy. Um, and, you know, and it's not sobriety that sucks. It's going to just be life sometimes. And so it's extremely important to be fluid with the languages I'm going to use for the rest of this episode because I don't want to have to mind every single thing I say, you know, and put the positive spin on it because sometimes, man, the muck and the mire just happens. And to sit here and lie to ourselves that there isn't muck and mire, that there isn't just the dredge of emotions that we go through, that somebody isn't going to say something and it does piss us off. And even though we want to be in cause and say, well, that person can say whatever they want. I choose how to respond. I choose how to feel about that. Um, that initial click, you know, we talked a lot about this in, in episode 69 when we discussed the amygdala and the cerebral cortex, uh, you know, where the amygdala is that front part of your brain and it just wants to respond right away, right? That's that fight, flight, fear, or sex part of your brain that just immediately wants to go caveman on any situation, and so it's going to happen, right? And, and we're human, and that's okay. You know, we want to get in better control of our amygdala. We want to have a better uh, response mechanism when it comes to our emotions, right? Again, said this many times for you veteran listeners, reaction is emotionally triggered and response is emotionally grounded. So when we're talking about emotional intelligence, and this is, I mean, it's such a hot topic and there's been books written about it. And I'm currently, you know, getting, I've got one of them in my queue once I make it through some of these other books that I've been reading. Um, And I will be putting out a list. I think I'm going to start doing it on my Instagram stories. Uh, Then I'll actually include, uh, include uh, pictures of all the books that I've read and I'm reading and I will be reading in my highlights because 
Uh, a lot of you have asked for that, and so I'm definitely putting that together. When we think about emotional intelligence, and again, hot topic, books about it, when we want to strive for that, where we realize that emotional intelligence is just as important as our in, as our IQ, right? They call it EQ and they call it IQ. You have your intellectual intelligence and you have your emotional intelligence. When I went through NLP and was trained in neuro-linguistic programming, you know, first as just a practitioner, then a master practitioner, now I'm actually a certified trainer in it, you know, I keep escalating up the ladder because I keep finding this stuff so invaluable to my growth. And one of the reasons I got certified as a trainer and went through like a two and a half month long program was that. I want to begin training you guys to use NLP the way I do to uh, sort out all of the stuff going on in my brain, right? Because I I really do believe that one of the strengths of my own program, the one I built for myself, was the use of NLP and the use of understanding that the NLP is the lost owner's manual for the brain, and it gives you this opportunity to go in and really understand how the unconscious and the conscious mind work and why I have all these blocks and where these limiting decisions and beliefs are. And for a lot of us in our addiction, the suffering becomes so much that we turn to whatever our vice is, and you know, this drugs, alcohol, sex, sugar, you know, it can be gambling, it can be whatever it is. This is a show for all of us. Um, emotions become very difficult for us to start tapping into because we do such a great job over the years of muting them, of pushing them down. My sister and I used to say that nobody loves an unhappy mogul. So we got very good at only showing the world our happy side. We refused to show the sad side. And it, then the muting of our sad side, of our just our everyday human selves in the public eye around our friends, our family, our loved ones, anytime we're in a social environment, it became so ingrained in our behavior that we began muting our emotions even when we were around each other. And so now all of a sudden, my sister and I are sitting in our separate rooms, both of us suffering, both of us going through hell for years, and then eventually we didn't live together. And since we weren't bonding when we lived together, we sure as hell weren't bonding away from each other. And the muting of these emotions in the public eye became second nature to the point where we just did it no matter who we were around. And then even when we were by ourselves, we couldn't tap into these emotions. And that's, that's just horrible. That is just oh, shitty. <laughs> I'm trying not to use profanity as much because I don't want iTunes to flag me as being profane, but that's just shitty. Right, if you can't even really be in touch with your own emotions when it's just you by yourself, that is a bad place to find yourself in. So, as we go in and we start touching on these emotional intelligence topics, the reason we're doing it is because we're feeling a lot of emotions as people who've stepped into sobriety and are moving into the journey of addiction recovery, where regardless of where I'm finding you at on your journey getting in touch with them and understanding them is of the utmost importance if you're going to really heal yourself internally and be able to bring people back into your uh, circle of trust in a way where you can be vulnerable and you can be honest and you can know when it's time to share and when it's time to not share so much. We are told 
right out the gate when we get sober that we need to stop lying to people. We need to stop lying to ourselves and how that gets internalized by a lot of people at the early stages and how it got internalized by me was that I should just tell anyone who asks exactly how I'm doing. But there is a time and a place to dive deep into your pain and then other times to just stay to the surface because you know, saying in the hallway at the coffee machine where anyone in the office can hear you, your deep, dark secrets to somebody who you trust at work, but while everyone else can hear, is not advantageous for anything going on in the office, right? Like, I think we can all understand that you can, there's some in some times where you've, you're, maybe you've done a share at a meeting even, and you've looked around and people are looking at you like, what? the hell did that person just share? Now, at a meeting, you certainly would think that that's a safe space. I have definitely been able to bear witness to those times where it was not. And so you want to be able to read the room when it comes to your emotions and understand, just like when we discuss how to reframe things from a negative to a positive, there's two ways that we frame things. And there's two ways so that two ways that we frame, um, two ways that can be reframed, deframed, um, content and context. And so when you think about how you might reframe a negative to a positive, when you think about it in context, it would be uh, the time, the place, location, things that um, more externalized, you know, where are you at? Who are you talking to? Uh, what time of the day is it? It's like this. If you wore a bikini or a bathing suit to the office, that's not the right place to wear a bikini or a bathing suit to. Wearing it at the beach, totally a good place to wear it to. That's context. Okay, so if you're talking about your deepest, darkest, vulnerable secrets about your addiction and you're doing that at the office water cooler, not the right place because anyone can hear you you, that's not where you want to do that at. That's That doesn't seem like the right forum unless, I don't know, you have a coffee machine in a, in a secluded area and nobody else can hear you. But again, let's not get lost in the specifics and let's stay right here. In the, in, let's not get too deep into all the different ways that you could come up with why you should be able to share at a coffee pot at the work. Let's just think of context. Where are you at? Who are you talking to? Sharing your deepest, darkest, vulnerable addiction secrets to your boss, probably not the best place. With your best friend at a coffee shop where no one else is going to be able to dive in and hear what you're saying. Okay, that's context. Know those things. Content is what actually happened. What what was actually said, what actually occurred, what you experienced. Okay, so if you if you know your boss yells at you and says you're a horrible employee and you never do anything right and he doesn't even understand why you're still employed there, and I go to help you reframe that, it can be that you know he may have said you're a horrible employee, but have you not also accomplished many things that would be commendable? Well, yeah, actually, uh, you know, I I turned in a lot of good work, and this was just one time where he wasn't all that thrilled about it. Okay, good reframe. You're not horrible. You just had a bad moment, right? You're not, he said you're worthless. Are there, are there times where you can see that you had worth, whether it be at work or in your normal life? Well, of course there are, Jesse. I have worth all the time. Okay, reframe. It's just this one time and he is emotionally imbalanced and should never have talked to you that way. So when we look at our emotional intelligence, 
and then we start to 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 think about where we can start to apply this, it's everywhere. You know it's everywhere. There's not a moment in your day that you can't step into your emotional maturity, into your emotional intelligence, and behave differently. You know, uh, cutting somebody off or getting cut off on the road and flipping them off and honking your horn, right? Lack of emotional intelligence when you're reacting rather than responding. Uh, getting mad at somebody at the grocery store for trying to write a check and you're in a hurry. This person didn't wake up today looking to piss you off. This is their preferred method of payment. Why don't you just look at some more magazines on the rack while you're waiting or stare at your phone, but do not start getting pissed off at some rando person because they're just trying to live their lives. They didn't wake up today and say, I really hope I upset Jesse because I'm going to write a check like it's 1982 at freaking Safeway. It's okay. It's okay. Take a breath. You'll get through it. In 25 seconds from now, they'll be gone. Or two days from now, you sure as hell won't remember this moment if you just let it go and you stay emotionally balanced. But if you freak out on the person and start screaming at them, right, then all of a sudden you've taken a moment that should have just been lost to the wind and you've turned it into something that you can actually ground and anchor into. You're going to remember that you freaked out on somebody at Walmart about a mask. You're going to remember that even if somebody doesn't record it and put it on the internet, you're still going to remember that you acted that way. Whereas if you had just put on the mask and gone about your shopping, 30 minutes later, you'd have been back in your car without a mask on and you'd have had all the stuff you wanted at Walmart and it wouldn't have been that big a deal. (laughs) You can see ways that society is losing the emotional intelligence challenge every single day. Don't you want to be the person on the other side of that who's, who's seeing how they emotionally respond versus react to things? Like, if I were to say, Today, I want you to write down every single time you were emotionally triggered to behave one way, but you decided, you actively decided in your mind to to respond a different way. I wonder how many times you would put pen to paper, right? Think about, I mean, literally the moment you wake up, the, the thoughts that you have that wake you up and send you out of your bed and into the day, everything starts getting driven by your thoughts and your feelings. And when you start having these thoughts that trigger these feelings that, and then you, you act on those feelings, if they're negative, then you're going to be sending out negative energy throughout your day. Like this is something we have discussed and we're going to keep discussing it because I, I don't think we ever actually get over it. And I, and I don't, care if every 10 episodes we touch back on this. One of the things that I'm going to introduce to you now as we you know wrap up what we're discussing today, emotional intelligence, and I love how I say that at the 20-minute mark almost every single episode, and then next thing I know it's 40 minutes in. But when I was taught in LP, we discussed the six major negative emotions. And I think this is why I brought up NLP earlier, and then I think I went off on a whole other tangent. Um, 
when you think of these six major emotions, uh, we when they're the the negative ones, when we're when we're taught how to help people using NLP, one of our big training aspects is listening for certain words, certain language patterns that will show which one of these six major negative emotions that you happen to be finding yourself in in this particular moment, perhaps you live in some of these, like some of these you can just live in and you don't even, you you might step out of them for a little bit, but then you, you settle right back into them later on. And it's almost like this Eeyore rain cloud above you all the time. You don't know why you feel like, like you have a weight on your shoulders. You're not, you're not really sure why you constantly have this nagging, aching feeling in your body, your mind, your spirit. You just know it's there. And it's more than likely because you're living in one or more of these negative emotions. And they are as follows. Fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness. Fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness. Now, if there were a few more of these that began with a vowel, I could probably turn it into a pretty good acronym. Um, so far, I just now thought of that, so I'm not going to try to pull that off on the, <laughs> the microphone while uh, I'm sitting here. There's definitely an, an H and an S, so there's somewhere in there there could be a SH, and it begins with a F, and, and uh, there's somewhere in here there's, a, there, there's, there's an acronym, and we'll figure it out later. Fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness. These are the emotions that we began feeling at a young age that caused us to start spiraling into our own minds. They became the emotions that we were unable to rectify, that we were unable to understand within ourselves. Ultimately, we decided at some point we needed to figure out a method to mute them and to shove them down and to not have to pay attention to them so much. And our answer was alcohol and drugs. And again, I've got listeners who... who uh, had eating disorders and gambling addictions and sex addictions. And so all of those have a home here, right? All of, all of those behaviors, all of those vices began at a young age to build their foundation for future, um, for, for the future when they would step out of the shadows and become the way we lived because we had fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness. You know, you can, you can, Literally, you know them now, fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness. Write those six on a piece of paper and start looking at how the memories you have of your childhood, your teenage years, your 20-somethings, who knows, whatever age I'm finding you at, start looking how those emotions are tied into some of the foundational ways that you picture events that you used to that, that have happened in your life, uh, the experiences you've had with other people, interactions you've had with loved ones and friends or even strangers, and how something they said triggered you to have fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, or sadness. Uh, and then you ultimately took that home with you. You internalized it to the nth degree, right? Rather than just releasing it back out and saying, well, that person can have whatever opinion they want of me. That person can treat me however they deem that they decide to treat me. That is That speaks more about them and the fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, and sadness they're going through than it does about me, right? If you're a 
I've coached some people who had childhood traumas where their parents physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually abused them. And when you go in and you start to realize the pain that another human has to be going through to then turn around and cause that much more pain to somebody else that they are supposed to love, then you start to step into this idea that, you know, stepping out of your shoes and into their shoes and realizing, wow. Imagine the trauma they had gone through to think that their behavior was acceptable, that they getting drunk and coming home and, and beating on a small child was acceptable behavior. What fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness were they going through to then behave this way around those that did nothing to call that kind of behavior upon them? Even if you weren't the best child ever, getting treated in an abusive manner is not the way to handle that. So stop beating yourself up. (laughs) Stop being the parent in your own mind who's beating the hell out of the little kid in your mind because you have a bad moment. You don't get things 100% right all the time that you have some vulnerabilities, that that you have some hiccups and that you don't do things perfectly all the time. That's the part that I really truly believe triggers people to step back into the relapse world and then ultimately deeper into their addiction than they were when they first stepped into the recovery world is that we beat ourselves up because it's not perfect, because it doesn't look exactly the way that we thought it should. And then when we don't live up to these undeniably ridiculous standards that we've set for ourselves, Right then, all of a sudden, it's like let's well let's let's pull out the let's pull out the whip and to start going at ourselves like a whipping post, and you know Almond Brothers call back out there, it's not the right behavior. It is not to beat ourselves up and to tear ourselves down in our own head is not beneficial. Fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness, these are emotions that are so overwhelming and, and they become so uh, uh, integral. I don't want to use the word integral because I don't think they're integral for life, but they, they become so common to feel these that it's almost like most humans don't even know what it's like to go through a day where they don't feel a majority of these at any given moment. I mean, that's just a weight of of pain. I mean, Brene Brown writes a, uh, wrote a whole book, Daring Greatly, about shame. Uh, I'm still t- just taking that book apart in notes, and it's it's got so much valuable material, I, I can't even believe it. Uh, when the notes are done, and I've really gotten some really great, like a thesis out of this whole thing, I'll bring it to the episode. Uh, for now, Daring Greatly, by all means, go out and get it. I couldn't speak high enough about it. She talks about how we live with this shame. And then when we have the shame about ourselves, not being the best mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever it might be, then we will. Ter- what we'll do is once we're done internalizing our, it on ourselves to the point of absurdity, then we will begin externalizing it and shaming other people to somehow help ourselves feel better about who we think we are by tearing somebody else down, right? Like she has a great part where moms and moms will do this, right? They'll, one mom will think that, you know, uh, well, 
breastfeed over bottle feed. If you don't breastfeed, you're a horrible mom. Somebody else will be like, uh, I think you should bottle feed. And if you breastfeed, you're a horrible mom. And then they'll shame one another in the public forum in order to make themselves feel better about the decision they've made because they're a little iffy on whether the decision they made was the best decision or not. When there is no best decision, it's the decision you made for your life you chose to, again, just for this example, you chose to breastfeed or you chose to bottle feed. Whatever was the right for you was right. There have been plenty of kids who've gone on to have successful, awesome, happy lives who were breastfeed, just as many were bottle fed and went on to live happy lives. How you turn up in life has very little to do with the conduit of nutrition into your body as a baby. <laughs> Just like so many of these things that we attach weight and purpose on from our childhood really should just be released. How are 50, 60, and 70, and 80-year-old siblings still arguing about crap that happened to them when they were 12? How is that happening? How are you still doing it to yourself? Whether you're 18 or 23 or 28 or 33 or 44, 52, whatever age you're at, are you still holding on to crap that happened to you so long ago that somebody could have been born and already graduated out of high school in that many years since that event happened? I do this. This is one of my favorite things to do. When I find myself holding on to BS, when I when I find myself latched on to whatever it is, right? Like I put things into terms of could a person have literally started first grade and then graduated high school in the amount of time it's been since that event happened or since I first had to deal with it or since I first thought of it, right? Like I'll just it'll be like, wow, you know what? I've I've been dealing with my daddy issues about him not coming to my baseball games and about him not caring about me getting to go to D.C. for that leadership thing. That was in seventh grade whenever he didn't care about that. That was in seventh grade. I was probably 12. I was like, I'm 44 now. So that's That was 32 years ago. I was like, hmm, 32 years. That means that two and a half kids could have gone to first grade and graduated high school in the amount of time that that's happened. Somebody could have been born and literally had seven children <laughs> if they started having them at 20. I don't know how what's what 18 months apart about what most people can have children. I don't know. But my point being is like really start to like put some time like it like put some time perspective on some of these things that you're holding on to. And when we dive deeper into this not just in sober sessions tomorrow, but in general. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to discuss emotional intelligence, and we're going to really get into understanding your emotional, your emotions in general and just how to start to wrap around those. But the reason why I'm touching upon this now is that next week, we're really going to dive into fear, anger, guilt, shame, uh, sadness, hurt. I rearranged the order on you. I'm sorry. Fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness is how I have them written down here. Uh and one of the reasons that we're going to start to touch on these a little bit more is because when you realize which one you're living in the most, then you can begin to ask yourself questions on how to get out of it. And uh, I mean, literally, I think each one of these negative emotions could have its own episode. And perhaps at some point I'll do that. But for now, I want you to go ahead and write down fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness, 
and start to see how many um, of these negative emotions you have really um, impactful events and circumstances that have occurred in your life attached to these six negative emotions, right? Dad doesn't care that I got uh, awarded a chance to go to DC uh, for a leadership conference when I'm in seventh grade that I'd worked my ass off for because if I didn't bring home straight A's, I got the belt. And when he pulled out the belt, I'd start to cry. So basically he wouldn't spank me until I started crying and he wouldn't stop spanking me until I stopped crying. It was a little bit very psychologically abusive. Um, hurt. I have hurt attached to that memory. Right, and when I think about it, when I and then when I think about that memory, uh, then as a child I was hurt. Since then, the the emotion has is has, has has grown, and now it, it used to spark anger in me, right? And then because I had anger, I would have, um, basically I just I I just refused to love this man, and then that would bring sadness. And then I would have shame for have you know for for not being able to love my dad because he behaved this way. And imagine the kind of trauma he had to have gone through to look at his twelve year old son who he has literally beaten into submission in order to get good grades, and then not even acted like he cared a damn about this accomplishment that his twelve year old kid had brought home. Right, and then all of a sudden there's guilt. Well, why doesn't he love me? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I did something wrong. And then there's fear. Oh well, you know, think about all the different ways fear can step in. Well, if he doesn't love me now, maybe he'll never love me at all. Right? I can literally attach every single one of those negative emotions to that that night he did not want to see my suit that mom had bought me to go to D.C. to wear. And I can picture myself standing in front of him. I am standing in front of his lazy boy while he sits there and barely looks up at me from from the television. And my older self, this version I'm talking to you now, as I'm picturing this moment right now on the microphone, I am there. I am literally in that movie in my head. I am right there. In the in watching it, and I'm standing at the foot of the stairs, and I'm watching this 12-year-old boy's spirit be crushed by a dad he just wants so much to impress. As my mom sits in her lazy board to the right, and she just looks at him in stunned amazement that this man could be acting this way and treating his son this way. I can step into that moment, and I can feel the emotions that I felt, and I, and I can, I can, and I can hear the words that were being said, and I can see the entire thing as if it's happening right now. All of us do this. All of us have these memories that have rooted themselves into our psyches. And it was through a tremendous amount of work that I was able to step outside of that little boy and stand there as this adult version of Jesse at the bottom of the stairs. I could literally reach out and put my hand on little boy Jesse's shoulder as his spirit is just crushed. I put a tremendous amount of work into being able to step out of my own skin and I used to only see this memory through my own eyes, which in NLP world is called associated, and I was able to disassociate and step out. And then when we do trainings in NLP, one of the things we teach our clients to do is to step outside of our own eyes when we're looking back at these negative emotional experiences and to watch it 
from that third person point of view. Because when you disassociate it from yourself, when you disassociate out of that memory, it's no longer you in it. It's it's an another version of you. You now get to be the spectator. You now get to be the audience in that memory. And if this is something that you have, these fear, anger, hurt, shame, guilt, sadness, emotions, uh, what I, and, and when you go to think about them, you are literally inside yourself watching the entire thing play out in front of you. I would just, it's this easy. You're standing there. You're in the middle of this emotional experience that you've anchored to that is causing you so much suffering now in your current state, even though it was 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Whether you want to sit down or stand up, it matters not. Just you, whether you want to open your eyes or close them, it matters not. Just picture yourself, your spirit, your essence rising out of that version of you in this memory so that you're now floating above it and you're watching it and you can see all the players just like me I can I can float out of that little boy body and I can see myself standing there with my suit in my hand you know wanting to show it to him I see him I see dad sitting in his lazy boy I see mom sitting next to him in fact Rover our little dachshund was in her lap at the time and I can see it all and then I float out of so now I'm floating above it and then I just float down and I stand at the foot of the stairs and I just watch it play out and I'm able to release a lot of those negative emotions and I'm I'm able to step outside of that hurt that fear that anger that guilt that shame that sadness and I'm able to just watch it and I'm able to take the lesson that was there what what can I learn from the little boy's perspective what can I learn from being in dad's perspective Right? What kind of fear, anger, hurt, shame, guilt, sadness did that guy go through in his life to behave that way? I reiterate that from earlier because I think it's really important to be able to, you know, step inside somebody else's shoes and 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 see it from their perspective in order to to fully understand whether you'll ever understand it, whether you ever ever be able to step into the empathy. Uh, portal uh, over somebody who's who severely hurt you. That's a conversation for another day. But I will tell you, one of the best ways to release one of these six, if not all of these six na- major negative emotions, is to be able to just try. Because if you can try to step into that other person's perspective and and think about the pain that they had to have gone through to get them there, it will give you a better insight into into their motivation. And it may never make what they did to you right, and it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to make it right. You're not looking to somehow obf- obf- obfuscate. Let them out, let them off the hook. You, somebody's actions towards you were, if they were horrible, then that's bullshit, and I'm sorry that happened to you. But if you want to stay stuck in that little 12-year-old version of yourself watching this painful experience happen to you over and over and over again, then you're going to get to live there for the rest of your life. And living in that experience for the rest of your life is no way for an adult to live. There are so many more things you could be accomplishing with your existence if you stop looking into the past and reliving those major negative, emotionally anchored events in your life. Nothing will be more freeing than figuring out what it is you can do to release out. And I've just taught you one. So 
when you are able to take some time for yourself, again, sitting, standing, eyes open, eyes closed, it matters not, whatever you feel comfortable with, and go back to one of those major negative events in your life, one of those ones that has scarred you emotionally deep. And if you're looking at it through your own eyes, I want you to float up out of it. And then whether you stay floating up or whether you go sit your ass down, on, you know, again, this is all happening in your head, whether you've, have you floated yourself up and you go sit on the couch and you, or you stand at the bottom of the stairs like I do, whatever it is, and then watch that event. Disassociate out of it. It is okay to disassociate out of it. I give you permission to release it. You give yourself permission to release it because sitting inside of those negative emotions is what got you to this point. It is what got you into the addiction. It's what got you into the suffering. It's what brought you through all of those years until you said enough is enough. I'm ready for a different life. And now we find each other here today, ready to not just survive, but to thrive. Figuring out our emotions and sobriety is one of the most freeing, uplifting things that we will ever do. It won't just change our world. It will change every single person's world who comes in contact with you from now until the end. You want to change the world? Start with yourself. Just by doing that, if you never did anything else, would change everybody else's world who comes in contact with you. Because that version of yourself who is ready to lash out or beat someone else up because you could barely stand the sight of yourself in the mirror will now have more love for themselves. They'll have more acceptance of who they were and who they are and who they'll become. They'll have more understanding for why they behaved the way they did then. And they'll have more faith that they can behave a better way the next time. And you know that version of yourself is in you because you've already done it before, haven't you? If you would like, you can sign up for the Sober Sessions coaching. As always, thank you for being here. We will only dive deeper into this as it goes. Once again, I said as I would end the show, at it was 20 minutes in, and here we are at 42. I, I cannot stress enough as I wrap this up, and I actually wrap this up, that understanding your emotions and releasing yourself out of these six, fear, anger, guilt, hurt, shame, sadness, it is monumental. And when you think to yourself, how is Jesse doing this? Or how are other people doing this that I I perceive them as thriving in their sobriety? It is being able to come to terms with these six emotions, release them as they come. There is no preconceived pressure on myself to go diving into every single painful memory to release it. I have no doubt that as soon as I clear out one, another one will be there to take its place. So I know I don't need to seek them. They come seeking me. And I take them as they come. I have no doubt unconsciously they're in a line waiting their turn. And when they come, by God, I am ready for them. And you are too. As always, everyone, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release, and your life will flow. Love you bunches. See you next week, or perhaps even at Sober Sessions. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 